Introduction In the fall of 1986, just out of college, I set out to hitchhike across the northwestern part of the United States. I'd hardly ever been west of the Hudson River, and in my mind what waited for me out in Dakota and Wyoming and Montana was not only the real America but the real me as well. I'd grown up in a Boston suburb where people's homes were set behind deep hedges or protected by huge yards, and neighbors hardly knew each other. And they didn't need to. Nothing ever happened in my town that required anything close to a collective effort. Anything bad that happened was taken care of by the police, or the fire department, or at the very least the town maintenance crews. I worked for them one summer. I remember shoveling a little too hard one day, and the foreman telling me to slow down because, as he said, some of us have to get through a lifetime of this. The sheer predictability of life in an American suburb left me hoping somewhat irresponsibly for a hurricane or a tornado or something that would require us all to band together to survive. Something that would make us feel like a tribe. What I wanted wasn't destruction and mayhem, but the opposite. Solidarity. I wanted the chance to prove my worth to my community and my peers, but I lived in a time and a place where nothing dangerous ever really happened. Surely this was new in the human experience, I thought. How do you become an adult in a society that doesn't ask for sacrifice? How do you become a man in a world that doesn't require courage? Those kinds of tests clearly weren't going to happen in my hometown, but putting myself in a situation where I had very little control, like hitchhiking across the country, seemed like a decent substitute. That's how I wound up outside Gillette, Wyoming, one morning in late October 1986, with my pack leaned against the guardrail and an interstate map in my back pocket. Semis rattled over the bridge spacers and hurtled on toward the Rockies a hundred miles away. Pickup trucks passed with men in them who turned to stare as they went by. A few unrolled their window and threw beer bottles at me that exploded harmlessly against the asphalt. In my pack I had a tent and a sleeping bag, a set of aluminum cookpots, and a Swedish-made camping stove that ran on gasoline and had to be pressurized with a thumb pump. That and a week's worth of food was all I had with me outside Gillette, Wyoming, that morning when I saw a man walking toward me up the on-ramp from town. From a distance I could see that he wore a quilted old canvas union suit and carried a black lunchbox. I took my hands out of my pockets and turned to face him. He walked up and stood there studying me. His hair was wild and matted, and his union suit was shiny with filth and grease at the thighs. He didn't look unkindly, but I was young and alone, and I watched him like a hawk. He asked me where I was headed. California, I said. He nodded. How much food you got? he asked. I thought about this. I had plenty of food, along with all the rest of my gear, and he obviously didn't have much. I'd give food to anyone who said he was hungry, but I didn't want to get robbed, and that's what seemed was about to happen. Oh, I just got a little cheese, I lied. I stood there, ready, but he just shook his head. You can't get to California on just a little cheese, he said. You need more than that. The man said that he lived in a broken-down car and that every morning he walked three miles to a coal mine outside of town to see if they needed fill-in work. Some days they did, some days they didn't. And this was one of the days that they didn't. So I won't be needing this, he said, opening his black lunchbox. I saw you from town and just wanted to make sure you were okay. The lunchbox contained a bologna sandwich, an apple, and a bag of potato chips. The food had probably come from a local church. I had no choice but to take it. 
I thanked him and put the food in my pack for later and wished him luck. Then he turned and made his way back down the on-ramp toward Gillette. I thought about that man for the rest of my trip. I thought about him for the rest of my life. He'd been generous, yes, but lots of people are generous. What made him different was that he'd taken responsibility for me. He'd spotted me from town and walked half a mile out of highway to make sure I was okay. Robert Frost famously wrote that home is the place where, when you have to go there, they have to take you in. The word tribe is far harder to define, but a start might be the people you feel compelled to share the last of your food with. For reasons I'll never know, the man in Gillette decided to treat me like a member of his tribe. This book is about why that sentiment is such a rare and precious thing in modern society, and how the lack of it has affected us all. It's about what we can learn from tribal societies about loyalty and belonging and the eternal human quest for meaning.